I'm Asan. It's Friday, and this is the Friday show. The international break is over. The star boys are injured. The scousers are coming to town. Yeah, I feel like it's going to be a big show today. Uh, I am delighted to be joined by Stefan and first by George. Morning, George. Morning, Asan. How you feeling? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. Ready for some city back in my life after uh, after a two week break. That's for sure. Lovely, lovely. Stefan, how are you? Good, good. How's the ready? Uh, how's the morale? Don't know. Apprehensive. Big yeah. game. Must yeah. win. Must classic Lloyd Howard <laughs> must win. I think. I, mean, I think on. this one really is there, right? Definitely. I mean, it must be. Definitely. It doesn't get, so, literally, this defines must-win for me. That It doesn't get more must-win yeah. than this weekend, especially because they've got... Don't leads. really like... I know, I know, exactly. At home, yeah. I mean, exactly. I, I really don't like must-wins. No. Must-wins really don't... They they impact the, the, uh, the 48 hours before. I've, uh, I've, I've, I've done a... I, I've actually made a, a booking to go for dinner tomorrow night with friends, knowing that it's something that I can't get out of. So regardless of which way the result goes, I have to be a human being tomorrow evening. I can't just sulk in a corner, which is normally with a game like this, I kind of don't plan anything for the evening on the idea that, well, look, if this goes tits up, I can just sit in a corner and sulk. But no, I'm going to brave face whatever happens. And the friend I'm going for dinner with is a massive Arsenal fan. So <laughs> I must be insane because I'm just like, <laughs> if it goes wrong, it's just going to be, uh, anyway, we'll, we'll see. I've we'll got, see. I've, well, if it goes wrong, I've got, yeah, God knows how long it's going to take in the car back. So, I mean, it's four, oh, it you, be four hours of, four hours of stewing. Are you driving? And then that dinner. Well, yeah, uh, I'm being driven by a mate, but uh Yeah. I don't I, look. It'd be fine if we win, but obviously, if we don't, it's going to be it's going to be a painful uh, afternoon. I think. Yes. Well, look. Before we get to what will be a preview of the Scousers, um, do you feel refreshed after the international break? And are you ready for Stefan? I'll start with you. Did you, bearing in mind how we all felt, like if you cast your mind back to to Spurs, um and the kind of few weeks before the Premier League charges, did you think that come this part of the season we'd still be in the running? Um, well, to the extent we are, yeah. I mean, you know, we're still we're still quite a long way behind, don't we? So, yeah, I think we're... I think we've been better... We've obviously been a lot better since Spurs. I mean, Jesus, the improvement has been pretty... Uh, has been pretty noticeable, and obviously, if we'd have got the win that we should have got at Forest, it would have everything would have looked a little bit different, I think. But mm. um, so, look, we're broadly where where I thought we might be. Uh, obviously, Arsenal have got those extra two four points that you probably wouldn't have expected them to get. I mean, you know that even those if you if you think about the two points we dropped at uh Forest and the two points they got in either one of those last minute winners, it's an enormous swing. I mean the thing the picture would yeah. have looked completely different and it's such fine margins from those two. But it doesn't change what tomorrow is in terms of the must win that we just talked about. No, definitely not. George, feel refreshed after the international break? Ready for this? I do, I do. I, I can't 
decide which international breaks more frustrating in the season. This one when things are just getting really juicy or that one in the start of October at the start of the season, September time when you're really getting back into it and then suddenly the club football swept away from you and it's uh, back to either friendlies or qualifiers. But I think the, the break's done a few of our plays good. We've got some minutes into the legs of the likes of Phillips, which he wouldn't have got a full kind of 90 minutes at City during this period, so it was good to see him get some minutes. A few of our other players getting a few too many minutes for my liking, maybe. But yeah, I'm definitely ready for City to be back in action, albeit in a horrible crunch game in the 12.30 <laughs> kickoff slot. Do you think... So it leads me nicely into my next question, so I'm going to stay with you. Like, What's better... At this, because I like I we obviously before the break, I feel as though we're probably in the best form that we've been in all season. And then when the break happens, it immediately makes me think: What do I want for the players? Actually, do I would I prefer them sat at home having a rest, or would I prefer that they keep playing at international level just to keep rhythm? Yeah, it's it's a tough one. The two games for somebody like Rodri. Is a, is a bit of a concern because the amount of mm. football he's had to play this season where we probably would have liked to rest him a bit more and he's gone and played two games and lost frustratingly to Scotland in one of them so his morale may not be too high after that but um, so for the likes of him I, I would have rather he probably had the rest but as I said people like Phillips I'm glad he got the football and people who needed a bit of a lift KDB's had some positive results so it's good for him to get that because he can be a bit streaky in terms of his kind of morale and positive output. He always has a decent output, but um, he get, goes on these streaks where he's just unplayable. So hopefully those games with Belgium will set him up nicely for the weekend because he's going to play a major role on Saturday. I hope so. I hope so. Stefan, what about for you? Obviously, KDB and Bernardo had really good international break in terms of their personal form. Do you think that's a good thing or are you more worried about minutes in legs? Well, look, you shouldn't forget uh, Nathan Ake's massive game against Gibraltar. Yeah, of course. So, Apologies. He was, uh, on the, he was on the score sheet as well, unless I'm mistaken. Well, I mean, it's Gibraltar. You know, I mean, they've got a lot of quality there. Um, look, I, 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 this, there's too many variables, I think, on the international situation. You know, the, I think the player, Rodri, obviously, presumably is gutted by losing to Scotland, but he's got to come back and all the players immediately must be completely focused on Liverpool because they kind of have no choice. Mm. So I suspect it makes not that much difference. Actually, if you think about it, we'd have lost Haaland. If we'd have had, let's say, three or four games in that two-week period or let's say three games, Haaland would not have played. Yeah. Right? So, in, in you, you know, we haven't lost Haaland to an international injury. He's been injured since, since the league game. So actually, in some ways, it's been to our benefit. Looking on the bright side, as I always do. Um, so uh, I think it swings and roundabouts. You know, international. I mean, I wish it wasn't there, but then I wish all international football wasn't there because I'm not interested, uh, mm. basically. Um, uh, it just gets in the way of the season. Um, Did you watch any of it? So, uh, yeah, I watched some England. You know, but only on in the background type thing. Not, I'm, mm. I just don't care, honestly. I mean, I, I did think uh, Grealish should score, uh, but you know, aside from that, I don't, I didn't really. I, I, I just, I, I'm just not that interested. Um, yeah, never have been. Uh, always been a club, club obsessive as opposed to interested in international football. Aside from the big tournaments, 
where I'll sort of watch. So, uh, and then you're just panicking that somebody's going to get injured. And uh, it looks like we've done okay, I guess, uh, with the injuries. So, I don't know. Uh, I don't lose, losing, too I guess, much. I guess technically Foden didn't get an injury. He just burst his appendix. But still, no, I mean that can go. That that can happen anytime, right? Yeah, that's it's not, true. That's not an England injury. It's true. That's fair. That's fair. Um, George, did you catch Calvin Phillips's uh, England performance? Yeah, it's, um, it's it's good for him to get the minutes in his legs. He still he still doesn't look like he's playing with the intensity I would like, but um, to see him to see him play with and physically, I still have question marks. I think he is a bit too lightweight uh, when challenged. Uh, but it was good for him to get minutes against uh, another top team because that Italy midfield he was up against, you know, they're they're no they're no jokes. I mean, the rest of the squad for Italy is not the strongest it's been uh, in the last twenty or so years. But the midfield's decent, and um, I felt felt like he was solid enough. Nothing nothing to get really excited about, or nothing to really be down about either. Mm, he was blowing chunks. That's that's the thing. It's- it's the thing that really uh, amazes me about Phillips. And I don't know whether it's just because we contrast him with Rodri, but he seems so weak in the challenge and, and in the sort of the physical, even holding the ball off against whoever he's in midfield. And this is in, this, in the few City games he's played as well as in international games. It's really striking. Mm. Uh, but I just don't know whether it's because we're used to seeing Rodri basically use his arse to protect <laughs> the ball so well. Yeah, you know, yeah, in that right. kind of... Yeah, yeah, Torre way, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I think, you know what? I, I remember watching Phillips at Leeds and he, he wasn't that lightweight. I think that the what we see what we're seeing in terms of him being so weak in challenges, I think that's a consequence of not playing football for a long time. I think to have the to know the level of physicality you gotta play with, I think you've got to play regularly, or at least some players do. And you see with him, he just from the moment he's come back into the team, he looks like a fella who needs three, four months of regular football to get anywhere near peak fitness. And that's probably my biggest worry because I kind of look at him and go, I don't, City are not a club where we'll let you get fit by playing Premier League games. It's just never going to happen. Like you need to figure out a way to get that fitness and intensity yourself. But look, we're yeah. in the we're at that point where it's the final stretch, and then he's got a summer break, and he needs to hit the ground running in preseason. In terms of not coming back with Guardiola calling him out for being overweight, coming back at the in the right shape, uh, and then hopefully we'll see a better version of him next season. So I got given this stat, which I put in the agenda because it. I mean, I know that I think we have a small squad, but still, this blew my mind. City have started the least amount of players in the Premier League this season at just 18. The next on the list is Palace with 20. And that includes Cancelo as well, who's gone. Stefan, what does that tell us about the squad or about Pep? Or it's just to me, it's just insane, really. Well, you, you wonder how you wonder how it can how we can sustain that between now and the end of the season, really. I mean, we are going to, I guess, because he's not going to start bringing in, you know, the fringe players for more minutes now. I mean, that's mm. obvious. But you do wonder how how it's going to be 
you know, when we get into June, you know, because it is June uh, and it's actually almost mid-June if we get to the final of the Champions League. Um, you do wonder how it's going to work. I don't know. I mean, it seems amazing to me. We always felt that maybe uh, the squad was was a little bit light. And I think when you add in uh, what's happened with Cancelo, uh, the uh, sort of the, the the obvious um position of a player like Gomez and Cole Palmer is these players in terms of being just so fringe that they're not really going to play many minutes. Mm. Um you know, we it is what it is, but it's it worries me towards the right at the death. Because I think last season, had we got to the final, um I think if you look at where the squad was, I think we've had we would have had a real problem in the final itself because I just we were so out of players um, and out of legs that that I think we might have had a problem. And so you just wonder, is this going to be the same this season if we go all the way? I don't know. Uh, you know, I mean, you look at the fixtures, it looks very, very intense over the next few weeks, assuming that we do win tomorrow um, because, because we can't slip. So mm. uh, it's amazing. I mean, you know, it's, it seems the wrong way around given everything that certainly the outside world thinks about city well if you th- if you look if you look at the number of games that that city play in comparison to everybody else in the league then you know it it is very 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 surprising i guess the one question i would have is is this a consequence of the smaller squad or is this just pep hmm hmm I don't know, you know, I, 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 I'm beginning to lean towards the idea that, I mean, they've got to see it. Like, for example, what you said there about running out of legs at the end of last season, it was really obvious there was literally players whose legs were falling off on the pitch in the middle of games and they were having to carry on. So it was pretty obvious. And to my eyes, they didn't do anything in the summer window to address numbers like they they addressed quality but they let players go to address that quality they didn't address numbers um so it does make me wonder whether that this whether pep is quite militant about the idea of a smaller squad um i th- I, th- I think he is i think it, if you look at bayern and 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 barca before it he always preferred a smaller squad and maybe you can get away with it slightly more because they don't have the second cup competition as well in in those countries. They just have the the one big cup. Maybe the super cups are bigger, but they're only one game at the start of the season. Um, so he's he's always liked a smaller squad because he doesn't want to train twenty five uh, people, which he could do if he wants. He's allowed twenty five people in the squad. He doesn't want to train because he doesn't think that they'll all understand it and know the roles well enough to to dive into it should they need to. But then on the flip side, if if you are only using 18 like we have this season and one of them being Cancelo, um, so you've really now got 17 that you're going to recycle from. If if we have two or three injuries to key players, he, he won't want to play Gomez and Phillips and Cole Palmer in the big games. He just, no, he won't. He, he, he's avoided playing them in. In games they could have played this season, you know, earlier rounds of the cups and league games where you would expect us to have the ball and and win, so it's it puts it puts us in a very precarious position as we do move into the real crunch time of the season. 
do you think i, th- I think go on, Stefan. Do, do, well i think there's a frustra- frustration i have is as you go through a season the, the facts change right so when, when we get to the uh, january break we know that foden's slightly off we know phillips has not worked we know gomez is probably not good enough um and we know where we are with kind of we're still in the uh, Carabao. We're in the title race. So all of these things give you extra information to reassess whatever happened in the summer in January. Mm. So you look at that and I think you then go, you know what, we're a bit light. Whereas Pep and, the, and, and Pep, let's say, but, but also the rest of the infrastructure says, actually, don't worry, we can actually lose Cancelo as well. <laughs> and to me, it's completely the wrong way around. You know, it should have been, you know what? We're a bit short here. Even with Cancelo, we're still a bit short. What we need to do in January is sign a player. We need to bring forward some recruitment plans because uh, because some things have not gone as we planned this season. We're a bit light. We've got a very big second half of the season. Let's sign a player. Let's sign two players. And actually, they get rid of one key mm-hmm. player. Uh, that's surprising to me. And it's, it leaves us where we are. I mean, we might get away with it, but... Uh, you know, as we sit here today, not having Harlan and Foden for I don't you know, think we have tomorrow. Got, yeah, I don't think we have got away with it. I think even if you look between if you look between the beginning of January and now, I think that you know the results are a consequence of whatever limitations there are in the squad, and there are limitations within the squad because it is so small. I guess the one th- the one thing I would say. Because when Pep came in, the squad was bigger at the start, right? In the kind of first couple of title wins. I think that Guardiola, maybe close to the top of his list of pet hates, is unhappy players. And I think that having dealt with the mad arsing of Sterling or the mad arsing of Leroy Sane or, you know, Gabriel Jesus being unhappy because he's not playing, I think he's kind of looked at it and gone... I think the problem that I agree with you, you've got to go and buy, but I think the issue is if you go out into the market, it's almost like a sliding scale. The better the player, the more he expects to play. So if you bring a guy in and then you go, but you're only going to play once every three games or every four games, you might have an unhappy player after eight weeks. And I think that Guardiola would rather go, you know what, I'm just going to run this 16 into the ground and I will live or die by that decision because it's easier for my day-to-day existence than going into training and every three days I'm going to deal with an unhappy player. Mm. Look, I never thought they were going to do it. Don't get me wrong. And I think what what you've just said is absolutely right. And on top of that, how many players really hit the ground running with Pep? I mean, Akanji, yes. But, you know, ordinarily it just doesn't happen. It takes longer. So, January is never going to be a good idea. I mean, I'm more frustrated with letting Cancelo go, but I agree with you that the key driver for Pep is that unhappy faces, and particularly with someone like Cancelo, because he's obviously done it everywhere he's been, and he's doing it now. So mm-hmm. I completely agree with you, but I can't shy away from the fact that every single season, you know, that it's manifested itself in the FA Cup semi-finals, right? Almost every season. And um, and yeah, okay, it's not that important, but it, it's been there every season. And so this season, what if it's in an even bigger game? You know, what if it is in uh, a Champions League final? That would be so galling to get to get to a uh, Champions League final, and then to have to 
you know, effectively make do because you're a couple of players short in the squad. I mean, that would be, you know, very painful if that happens. Mm. But well, look, we are where we are, uh, you know, so we'll see. Well, look, I think we'll we'll get to the Liverpool game, but I think that one of the one of the things that really has jumped out at me um for a lot of this season is just how one injury when Foden got injured earlier in the season it was like we have no options in attack we have three players for three positions and you've got nothing from the bench and i think that even if Haaland were fit and it was the Champions League final tomorrow, literally your only attacking move from the bench is Alvarez. You don't have any other options. And for me, fine, we can argue the toss about fullbacks, but I will always be more concerned if there aren't enough attacking options. You can't have too many goal scorers on the bench. And I find it a bit weird that we've allowed ourselves to get into a position where it's basically three players for two positions in the uh in the wide areas um and one of those lads is 32 or at least is going on 32 um but that brings me neatly into the next order of business um <clears throat> on the 9320 player we've done a few big transfer pods in the last few weeks kind of looking at the summer um jack on did a, a big piece in the mail yesterday saying that uh City are considering this summer as business as usual and have a, quote, wedge of cash to spend, which I think I prefer wedge to a war chest. Somehow war chest bothers me, but I like I like a wedge of cash. That, that works for me. Um, George, I'll start with you. What are your hopes and expectations for the summer window? Yeah, picking up on what you just mentioned about the the squad being like this season, maybe it's time to finally fulfil the Isco prophecy and sign him on a free till the rest of the season, <laughs> just to bolster the squad a bit. Uh, I mean, he's about six years older than we'd probably like, and about half the speed he once was, but uh, could still could still do a job, maybe. Um, but no, in in terms of the summer, um, I'm excited with all this talk coming out about that we're going to go for it, but. I'm also the more pessimistic side of me is wondering with the the whole charges situation how much of that is going to maybe make the odd player question or will we have to write anything into the contracts of players we sign specifically around the charges mm. I'm not too sure but um the, the wedge of cash is is always sounds good on a midfielder and a defender I just hope the defenders are left back and not another centre back this time. Uh, that'd be nice. Um, but I am excited for the summer. There's Bellingham's the obvious one, I think, and everybody wants him. And it's will we get him? Are we in the driving seat? And I think the rest of the season is important for the Bellingham transfer saga, not just for us, but the you know. What happens to other clubs like Liverpool and the, and the likes of them if if they do get Champions League? Does that put them back in to the race in a strong position? I'm not too sure, but I think Bellingham's the one we've all got our eyes on, and it's he's going to be the story of the summer. Yeah, Stefan. Um, I think I think it's fair. I think what George says is fair about the uh, the kind of the charges and and the the reality is that no matter what City 
brief or say indirectly to the media we can't know uh, how it affects the summer business but i guess for me in terms of i think the reality is that it's binary in the sense that if you don't want to come because of the premier league charges okay cool well we'll just move along and we'll find another target i think that the the nuance of okay well people will want clauses I would fully expect that. I think that if you put yourself in a position or you find yourself in a position where there's a potential for you to be docked points in any given season, you can understand why agents would go, well, I want something to mitigate if you get sucked out of the top four because you've been docked 20 points or you've been relegated to League Two or whatever it is. Um, Putting that aside... Just on a personal level, what do you want to see from the the summer window? Like, I'm, I'm not necessarily in terms of like, well, I want this many players in that pos- in that position, but where do you want the squad to be at the end of the end of the summer this summer? The problem is what we want and what Pep wants rarely coincide. Mm. Uh, you see, I, I when we had that conversation the other day, the reason that some of my views came across as quite sort of pessimistic or realistic or whatever is just because. I'm I'm not looking at it in terms of what I'd want, rather what I think they'll do. And so clearly, if it was up to me, I'd like as you know, Bellingham, Guardiol, a uh, couple of fast wingers, including Sane back for thirty million quid. You, you know, you could you can and the left back, you can get a, a shopping list. I just don't think they're going to do that. So, um, how many do you expect they, players? What player wise? I just don't, I, I, look, it seems to me that, first of all, it depends who goes, right? So net, net, I would say another two players. Yeah. So, you know, if he loses, if he does lose, and I don't think he will, actually, I think one of Bernardo or Gundo will stay. Uh, but if he was to lose Gundo, Bernardo, uh, Laporte, uh, who's the other one? Uh, Cancelo. Um I mean, I'd like to see two additions. If you look at the players, if you look at the net position since January of last year, it's a lot. You know, there's Torres, Jesus, Zinchenko, Sterling. Uh, you know, these these are established first-team players that have gone and the replacements have not really uh, counterweighted that because uh, particularly with Phillips, um, you know, they just haven't hit the ground running at all. So, um, uh, I, w- I would want at least, at least two net on top. Think- and I'm talking about established elite players, you know, yeah. not, you know, players that can actually participate, uh, without needing an entire season to bed in. I don't think and that can- might be really, might be unrealistic. I don't know. I think, I think you're right. I think the problem we've got is that if we lose four, they'll never do six in. I think that's. I they think won't what, lose four, though. I think. I think that's my point. Is that you know yeah. the, the the way they the way they operate, they're going to say add four. we can't. Yeah, or, or even you know lose three, but we can't lose four. You know, no. you can imagine them saying that is just too many players in one window yeah. because to recruit six is, as you say, is. I mean, feels basically impossible. Six yep. top players into the squad feels impossible. And I just, I don't think it's a, um, actually, I'd be interested in both your views on this. I really don't think it's a buyer's market this summer. It feels like the kind of, 
I hate using the, 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 the word transfer inflation or inflation, but it feels as though the market feels particularly inflated this summer. Um, cause I keep, uh, you know, even Jack wrote Bellingham and Alexis McAllister. And I'm just kind of like, look, Brighton are not selling Alexis for less than 80, 90, a hundred million pound. Dortmund are not selling Bellingham for less than 120 million pound. If you're getting at that level for one player, there's only so much more you can do after that for loads of reasons. One of them being that the market will be so inflated that you'll go and try and buy a relatively shit player from somewhere in La Liga and without uh, a favorable buyout clause, they'll be asking you for 50, 60, 70 for a guy who's not proven anything. So I think it'll be a complicated market. Stefan, what do you reckon? I think there's a lot of bluff going on with the financial position around. So, uh, and I don't think you can look at the market as one, as one block. So, there are individual players. So the players that are at Brighton, for example, the players are at Leipzig, for example, and the players and, and Bellingham. I think they're all in their own way, um, particular uh, circumstance um, situations that mean that those those teams will be able to demand higher transfers or not sell at all. I think there's no possibility at all that City would pay anywhere near that money for. Uh, Alexis um, uh, from Brighton. Uh, Brighton have got a lot of players. Uh, first of all, I've got a lot of players that are being talked about as being extremely expensive. Uh, they don't seem to be in any great need to sell, so they will sell if they if they get the right offer. But I just don't see. I think you know um, a good example is Cucurella in terms of our approach to Brighton. Uh, we'll, we'll pay what we think is a generous fee, but we're not going to be legged over. Bellingham, I think, is in a different category, but then it's a question of whether anybody can pay 120. Mm. But then below that, below that, I think the market is on a massive bluff because the financial state of the game is such that it, it can't be any different. You know, Bayern Munich and PSG can only buy so many players. Once you get past them, you know, the idea that Juventus would have a big summer is is absolute nonsense, in my opinion. Uh, given where they are with the the uh, the charges and everything else, and it's an amazing piece in the Athletic. I know it's so good. Like me, I've, no, no, I've read uh, it. I've read it. It's brilliant. Yeah. So that's <laughs> so that is that is worth the entry fee uh, this month to the Athletic. Um, but I, so I don't see Juve being in in the game at all. Um, PSG can only buy a certain number of players, and if Qatar buy United, we don't know what's going on in terms of how the two two things will interact. But it's quite possible that a lot of the focus will go away from PSG and onto United. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that was the case, then PSG might not be in the market in the same way either. Barcelona have, have admitted themselves that they're out of the market, aside from free transfers. So it leaves you at the top level, right at the top with the Premier League and you know one or two clubs. And those one or two clubs, they're only going to do one or two deals. You know, so... Um, I don't see the market being massively inflationary this season. I think it's all a big bluff. But then, to be honest, for years and years, I've pretty much been saying this. So, you know, uh, don't necessarily take anything I say about the financial state of the game to be to be read. I'm usually <laughs> right, but then a few a few years after the event. Yeah. Well, I just I, the one thing I would say is that I I do think that in particular Premier League clubs 
are in a position where they're, you're right, it is a little bit of playing chicken, a little bit of bluff. But the question is, who blinks first in terms of, you know, if you go to, if you're, if you're Newcastle and you go to Lyon or you go to a club in the, in the Italian league for one of their best players, what sort of, what is the market value of Leon or Atalanta's best centre midfield player who Spurs want to sign. And I think that line, that kind of baseline of, okay, what is that going to cost? I think that's gone up. I think, you know... I know, but, you know, Newcastle are a good example. You know, they just can't do it. Like, there's no way they can do it. They Mm -hmm. don't have the capacity under the rules to do it. Unless unless they're about to announce that Saudi Airways, whatever that new (laughs) Riyadh Airways, whatever it's called... (laughs) is somehow sponsoring them for, you know, 200 million a year and somehow they've got it through the new associated uh, party rules, then unless they're going to do that, there's no way in which they can compete again. You know, they, they've spent quite a lot now uh, with, you know, Anthony Gordon. They're now starting to get to a point where their wage bill is starting to get into a dangerous level for them given their turnover, where their spending is getting to a, to a high, very high level. X having any European football or having new sponsors. So they're now coming up to their crunch point and you're going to start to, you're going to, it's inevitable that they're going to have to slow down their spending unless they're prepared to breach FFP. Uh, And I mean the Premier League FFP as opposed to uh, European FFP because at the moment they're not actually in Europe. So it's kind of irrelevant. So I think it's a good example. You know, like there's a lot of talk, but the reality is that they can't, there's not that many teams that can really compete at the 50, 60, 70 million pound level. Mm. There's a lot of teams that can compete at the 20, 30, 40 level in the Premier League. You know, almost all the teams can compete at that level. But once you get above that and into that next tier, very few teams are going to be able to play in that market. George, for City, who, if, if you could pick who finishes fourth, from the the runners and the riders, who do you think, who would you want to finish fourth? So you've got Spurs, Newcastle, Liverpool, Brighton. Have I missed anybody there? I think Chelsea, Brentford, Chelsea are out of the running. I don't think Brentford will do it. I don't really. No, I don't don't think so. so. Yeah, I think think of the outsiders. Brighton are the only one that I kind of look at their their running, the the points that they've accumulated and kind of go, okay, they do genuinely have a have a shout. Georgia, would you like to finish fourth? It's a tough one. Um I think I'd like I'd like to avoid Liverpool finishing fourth because as I mentioned earlier, I think that puts them in the Bellingham race. Um I know it'll cost a lot, maybe it'll come down to like you say, it's gonna it's gonna cost one thirty, one thirty, one forty even maybe, and it's probably going to go to somebody who's willing to pay Dortmund in two instalments. If that, I don't think they're going to um, fancy the the Chelsea approach of being paid, you know, twenty million over six years or something daft. Um, but so I'd like Liverpool to avoid it. I w- I wouldn't mind, you know, Newcastle finishing fourth. I don't think that would threaten our plans as much as maybe if other teams did. Mm. If Spurs did, they may be in the market for a few players we're after, especially if it's announced that they they are getting Nagelsmann at the end of the season. That could be a real boost for any incoming young player who wants to work for a progressive manager and play in the Champions League and live in London. So 
I think Newcastle finishing fourth wouldn't threaten any of our plans. And also, I think they'd still be a fair way off us going forward. I think it'd be good if Chelsea don't, because I think a lot of the business this year in the transfer market is going to be done within the Premier League and the Championship, depending on who goes down. If the likes of let one of if one of Leicester or West Ham or somebody like that goes down, going to see a lot of players sold from there. And I think if Chelsea don't get there, they'll really have to offload a fair few players, six, seven players from that squad because it's so inflated at the moment. And I think that's maybe where a deal, a good deal could be picked up, mm. not just on the, the Kovacic's or, or the Mounts, but a couple of players are like Lewis Hall at Chelsea. I think Loftus-Cheek, maybe not for City, but I think Loftus-Cheek, when fit, could do a job for a number of clubs. So I think if Chelsea don't qualify for the Champions League, that's where I see maybe some of the better value deals because they'll maybe accept a slightly lower fee because they'll be looking to sell seven or eight players. So then when you add all those fees up, it'll be the amount that they're looking for. I think the thing with Chelsea is that like the likes of Lewis Hall and Mount and, and Loftus-Cheek, it's pure profit. Because they're because they're academy players. Like if they bring in, I don't know. Let's say that they sold three three lads like that. They brought in hundred hundred and twenty million pound. That's that's really massive for them from an accounting point of view and an FFP point of view. Um, I think I'd like honestly. I think I'd like Newcastle to finish four. I just uh, for whatever reason, uh, I, I just think it's going to upset the. Uh, it's going to upset the the people who like to get upset about oil money it's going to upset them a lot and so that that's that's pretty much enough for me i'm a i'm a child in that sense i'm like yeah okay let's have newcastle finish fourth and have you know liverpool fans crying you don't want you you don't want that i'll tell you (laughs) (laughs) because they're richer than they get well well no Who's 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 rich? I mean, you know, it's, it's all a nonsense. Uh, the, 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 their biggest impediment to success right now is moving their top line, their revenue line, 100%. and the ways in which they can move their revenue line are European football and sponsorship. Uh, and we know that the sponsorship is almost certainly going to come from uh, Middle Eastern partners. Okay, and. The only way in which they can justify under the current rules major increases in those sponsorship levels to the to the levels of the top four are by getting Champions League football. And if they can't get Champions League football, and you know, I would like them to finish eighth, uh, not get anything at all. But if they have to be in the conference, then I don't think that they can justify high levels of. Um, of sponsorship uh, and the longer that they can be kept at a level where they're effectively capped by the current rules the better uh, from a competitive standpoint yeah it'll be funny to see the reaction and the uh you know the hand-wringing but uh from our competitive p- perspective we need our competition to be as weak as possible for as long as possible but uh, don't you think just playing um, devil's advocate for why- a minute I, I hear what you're saying, but just playing devil's advocate for a minute, Liverpool in particular, right? Liverpool and United uh, being in the top four because their baseline is so high, because their baseline revenues are so high. For me, they're a much bigger problem in the short to medium term than Newcastle will be. Even if we say that, fine, so Newcastle have got 
a shitload of money if they get Champions League football to go out and buy footballers. The reality is that they can't buy the Bellinghams of this world, even with Champions League football, because it's still a new project. Like the the elite of the elite, they aren't going there, but they'll go to Liverpool and they'll go to United. Yeah, but but you're thinking too short termist because both United and Liverpool can handle a season outside of the Champions League or two, right? It's not going to move their. Uh, materially move their revenue line and their ability to compete materially. Mm. It might in a individual player on one individual player, perhaps I accept that. But what what I'm trying to say in terms of Newcastle, and this doesn't apply to other teams. This doesn't apply, for example, to Brighton. This, you know, I'd love Brighton to qualify for the Champions League because all that happens is one of the places goes to Brighton. They have a fantastic additional hundred million quid coming through the door doesn't doesn't impact anybody on a long-term basis. The point that I'm making about Newcastle is it's a step change that they're looking for. Yeah. And if they get that step change, that step change is not going to last for a very short period. It's going to allow them to compete over a much longer period. So the longer that they can be kept under £250 million of turnover, for example, the better. Um, because as soon as they can crack 400 million, 500 million pound of turnover, however they're able to do it, then they are in the game of competing with the major clubs in the country on a regular basis. And the longer we can keep that, um, them away from that, the better. Okay. I, I still kind of feel as though I'd rather compete with them than United or Liverpool, but Maybe that's just me. Well, you'd be competing with both of them. That's my point, right? Why do you want to compete with more people? We want less competition, not more I, competition. Well, it's, al- I, it's already it's already fucking competitive, right? No, contrary but, to what everybody tries to tell you, it's, it's fucking massive, competitive. It's right massively, now. yeah, it's massively competitive. But there's only four Champions League places, and the reality is that, like exactly, you say, like you like you say. Well, actually, I look at it from a different point of view. So my point of view is that City is so well run, we're not falling out the top four anytime soon. So no, that that's not something that we are the only well, we club. We nearly did under Pellegrini. Yeah, so but that's that's it, that's you're it, it reaching if that's the best you've got. You're reaching if that's the no, best you've ha- got in a decade. Oh come on! As soon as as soon as Pep goes, we're we're back in the we're back in the also runs of uh, of the very biggest clubs, right? In my opinion, right? Pep Pep is the reason why Champions League is guaranteed. Not not how well run we are generally. We didn't fall out of the top four uh, after we got into it before Pep as well. We were close once in a season that Pellegrini I, I, knew he was I accept, going in. I accept that, but I think the, the game is more competitive now. That's fair. Definitely. I think, I think it's definitely more competitive, but the only thing I would say on Newcastle is at the moment, even if they did get the Champions League football, the fact that it's a new project. The geographical location as well plays a part, for, especially from players coming from abroad. We've, we've seen how hard it is for City to do, and it's taken us to have regular success and Pep as manager to be able to sway a few of these players. And I think the geographical location and how as manager will inspire maybe um, young British footballers, but how much does he inspire the most exciting players on the continent and in South America I don't think as much as other top managers. So I th- still do think even with the financial advantages they'd have, they've still got a few years where they they wouldn't be shopping in the same bracket or market of player just because those players wouldn't yet want to come to them. They may well do in the future, mm. but that, that's where I How will be gone. At the moment. 
I mean, Hull will be gone quite quickly. Yeah. If they, if they crack, if they crack Champions League, and uh, in my opinion, he he will not last that that long. They they will end up with, you know, one of the higher profile managers, and uh, I, I think geographically, players have been fairly relaxed. Actually, you know, increasingly relaxed about these things as long as the money's right. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I think with Newcastle, for me, it's careful what you, what you wish for. Uh, and I, and I, I've, I've always been of this view and I've never really enjoyed this kind of Pally City uh, approach to Newcastle as being, you know, some kind of disruptor. We don't need any disruptors. I mean, the whole point of, in my opinion, the, 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 the benefit of FFP and the obsession that people have had with FFP since um, the early 2010s is that actually it was too late to stop City and now it's to our benefit and therefore we should we should embrace it for for all it is because um <laughs> you know let's yeah. keep let's 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 keep it as as uncompetitive as we can whilst recognizing that what what we've got now is super competitive so uh i, I don't know i'm just um i'm just greedy for you know continued success and absolutely yeah Right. So listen, before we get to before we get to Liverpool, last question very quickly. Um who has been your player of the season so far? You can't choose Haaland. Stefan. Uh Rodri, I think is uh, Rodri is nailed on in my opinion. George. Um yeah, I'm a big fan of Rodri, but I'm gonna go with Nathan Ake. Go on, lad. Um I think nobody in the summer expected him to be an integral part of our starting 11 especially in the big games and I think the job he's done outside of his comfort zone has been pretty astounding his one-on-one defending has been superb and his the mood he has and the the morale he brings I think he's a very positive person so yeah I'm gonna go with Ake yeah I just think everybody loves a redemption arc and I don't think that anybody foresaw that this would be Nathan Ake's season um or his breakout season at sea so yeah I would I would go along with that um so I've put it off for 46 minutes and now I'm not going to put it off any longer. Scousers in the early kickoff tomorrow. I think we established at the top of the podcast, this is the very, very, very definition of a must-win game. Even Howard Hocken, I imagine if he was on this podcast, would probably go, yeah, all right, it's a must-win game. George, before we look at City, Liverpool have won, had a little look, they've won once away in the league this year. And we're coming into April. And that was against a 10-man Newcastle. And overall, their away record is really poor for a top side this season. Um, what's From the outside, what do you think has gone wrong there? Their inconsistency has been uh, astounding this season. It's you know We've come to expect them to be so relentless and their levels to always be so high after the last few years of being in title races with them. So... It's pretty baffling, really. I think losing Sadio Mane, I don't think they realised the impact he, him leaving would have at the start of the season. And they've replaced him with some players who I think will come, will come good. But he was one of those players who didn't rely on the the roar of Anfield in the first ten minutes and all that stuff. He his his levels were high, home away. Didn't matter who the opposition was, big mm. team, small team, he always delivered. And if you lose a player like that, 
it's it's pretty tough to replace, especially when you you're relying on some young raw players like Darwin Nunes, who I do think is a good player actually and will will come good, but it's a lot to ask of somebody to fill those shoes straight away. So I think losing him's a big thing. I think Fabinho falling off a cliff has been a massive thing in in the Klopp system as it as it is in the Pep system that number six role, if you will, the, the CDM is so important and it's the linchpin of everything, especially when Liverpool like to play on the front foot so much and therefore can be caught on the break maybe. Him falling off a cliff, is I didn't expect it. I, you know, I, I never thought he was the player maybe Liverpool fans thought, thought he was, but he was important for them for a number of years. But yeah, his levels have just been wild this season. Stefan, how do you account for the fact that they can put seven past Liverpool, uh, seven past United, nine past whoever they put nine past earlier in the season and then go, in fact, it was Bournemouth. So they put yeah, nine Bournemouth. past Bournemouth at home and then lost one nil to Bournemouth away. Is there something in the mentality that like, I guess what I'm trying to ask here is, is there, is there a point at which you kind of go, well, the players are just not putting it in. They're kind of picking and choosing the games that they want to perform in. Well, I think if you look at their results, I think you have to conclude that. I mean, mm. you know, remember they won at Spurs, Right, they won at Villa. They uh, they won at Newcastle, uh, and they and the sending off only came after they were two 0 up, um, and yet have lost at Bournemouth, drawn to Palace, uh, lost at Wolves three nil, lost at Brentford three one, lost at Brighton three nil. You know, I mean, the inconsistency away from home has been astonishing lost to Forest. Uh, so I think you can only say that they can, that it's about the players being able to motivate themselves for the biggest games. Unfortunately, this is the biggest game. And right. so uh, <laughs> I think it's a hard game. I mean, I, you know, I don't, uh, I think it's a very hard game to call actually, especially with the injuries. Um, uh, I, but I, I can't, you know, Liverpool fans, I don't think, would be able to offer a, a proper explanation of what's happened this season any more than than we can from the outside. Um, but those results are bonkers. I mean, you know, I mean, we all know they weren't seven; they weren't really seven nil versus United because the first half could have gone either way. When they beat us, they weren't very good against us either. Um, they were good against Newcastle until until the goalkeeper went off and when it was a bit rocky. Um, but they've been, you know, pretty abject in in these what should have been very easy away games, relatively. Mm. Um, so I don't know. I think it's very, very hard, very hard to analyse what's gone on, what's gone wrong with Liverpool. I suspect it's it's a case of uh, fatigue with the manager and and the number of new players, probably. Mm. I do. Th- I, you know, Monet going is obviously bad for them, but it shouldn't have been. It shouldn't have had the impact that it's had. No, I do think, I mean, he led the press. I think the big thing for me with, with losing Mane, and I said it at the time, was just he's the, he was always the trigger for their press. He was the guy who set the tone for how intense they were going to be. And if you lose that guy, you need to figure out how you're going to replace the intensity that he brings. And I, somehow I feel as though they haven't. But look, for example, if you look at the comments that um, Van Basten and Hullet made about Van Dijk in the international break, they are objectively hilarious. If if fellas like that are saying that your ego is too big, yeah, and you've got an attitude problem, wow, 
your attitude must be uh, must be off the scale. Um, and I do th- I do think a little bit they they have uh, drank the Scouse Kool Aid, and when it goes wrong, they just can't be asked. I think that there is genuinely, and I've seen them enough times to kind of see it that it almost looks like they're playing a friendly game. Like, and it's, it's almost like in a lot of those away games, one thing doesn't go their way. And literally it's like the spine of the team goes, I can't be asked now. Like that Bournemouth game, Mohamed Salah was just, I mean, if a city attacker played that badly in a, in a situation like this where you need points, you're desperate for points regularly, I think we'd be going, that guy needs to be sold this summer because he can't be asked clearly. So I think there's definitely an element of, of can't be asked with a lot of those players. But as Stefan says, against City, they can always be asked. That's, that is their derby, whether they, whether they like to admit it or not. City home or away is is currently under Klopp their biggest game of the season. So I expect them on some level to uh, to come correct tomorrow. Um, George, do you expect them to play as they normally play? Like, do you expect the high line, the high intensity, or can you see some type of um, conservatism, some some type of going? All right, well, we can't just be what we are at the Etihad. No, I think maybe Klopp has too much pride for that. I think he'll want to play his way and the way that Liverpool have played for years and show that it's still there, it still works and parts of the season have just been a blip. I think, especially after an international game, they could use this as as a reset to kick on for the rest of the year in their top four challenge. A win against us would do wonders for that, for the morale. So... I expect them to come flying out the gate, to be honest. That first 10 minutes against Liverpool is always the hardest. And if mm. you can win that first 10 minutes, usually you have a chance of winning in the game. So I think they're going to come guns blazing, Nunes, Salah, probably Gakpo, and then the full-backs pushing up. Um, yeah, that's what I expect. Full, full front football from them as usual. I think the issue, the only issue they've got is they've got Chelsea on Tuesday. Um, yeah. and then and then Arsenal next weekend although that game's on Sunday so there's a big enough gap between Chelsea and Arsenal where I don't think that that comes into into Klopp's thinking but I do think that having to play City and then Chelsea two days later uh, I think that will probably come into his thinking and it'll be interesting to see because they don't have any midfielders like they've got Fabinho they've got Henderson Thiago's out injured and Fabinho and Henderson can't both play both of those games, they haven't got the legs for it. So he's going to have to decide whether one of those two games, I think he picks four forwards. I think one of those two games, he goes, the only way to do this is to go 4-2-4. So it'll be interesting to see whether he chooses City to play. Because when I say four forwards, I mean Salah, Gakpo, um, Nunes, and then either Jota or Luis Diaz, because he's back as well. So I think in one of the two games, he picks all four of those lads. It's just a question of 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 who, uh, of which game. Stefan, yeah. from, from City's point of view, the injuries, do they, do they make the team pick itself? Feels like it, isn't it? I mean, uh, I mean, it's like you said before, I mean, we've got very few 
got very few attacking options. We just lost two of them. Uh, what else can he do? I mean, he, you know, it feels that way. Yeah, I mean, my only, my only, my only worry or concern would be. Um, I don't think that. So I think that obviously with Foden and Haaland out, you look at the attack and you go, well, it's got to be Grealish, Mares, and Alvarez. But I think the issue you have with that is that leaves you nothing on the bench if you're chasing the game. I don't think Guardiola is going to want to be in a position where he's got no moves from the bench. Um, and that makes. What can you do? I mean, he hasn't got them. So, I mean, what are you proposing? Well, George proposed it at the top. I think you play you play Bernardo off the right and you have Mares from the bench. That's that's the only way that you can do it. Or you play Mares on the right, you play Bernardo as a false nine, which he has done before, I think against Liverpool as well at some point. Um and then you've got Alvarez from the vent from the bench. But that seems to be so would you be in favour of either of those things? I think it's a very fine line, personally, between, you know, in terms of options off the bench. I mean, you know, whether it's Bernardo, whether it's Mares, whether it's Alvarez. I mean, uh, you know, uh, I, I suspect I suspect he won't he won't overcomplicate it and he'll play Alvarez and uh, and he'll play uh, probably Mares and and he'll just have to see how they get on. I mean, it just, it really does highlight everything that we've said about attacking options off the bench. Uh, but it is what it is. Well, there's nothing, there's not, I mean, look, there's a possibility, I guess, that Haaland is on the bench uh, for a, if it's really going badly wrong, because it is a must win game. I mean, uh, so maybe that's, maybe that's how he fixes it. Maybe uh, Haaland is, is obviously not, not ready to start, but, if he's needed for ten minutes at the end, maybe maybe that could be the the um, the the plan B or whatever you want to call it, uh, mm. the hail mary. I, I don't know, uh, but I, I don't think it. To me, it doesn't matter that much which combination of the players that you've just described actually plays. I think it's obviously suboptimal because I, I think Foden would have been obviously a much better false nine. Uh, so we're now down to uh, really third pick. I, I, I wouldn't have, um, I, I wouldn't have been starting Alvarez if Foden was fit personally. Yeah, I I, I agree. I, it's funny. I said earlier in the season that um, if Haaland was injured for a big game, I wouldn't expect Alvarez to be the false knight. I would, I would expect it to be Phil, um, but obviously Phil's injured. George. Just kind of looking at those options that we've mulled over, um, what's your preference? Like, what would you, what do you want to go with? Um, I, I definitely want Alvarez to start. I think um, this is kind of his one of it will be probably be one of his biggest games in a city shirt because no one's expecting Haaland to start, so everybody knows. Well, hopes Alvarez will be on the pitch leading the line, and um, so I really want him to start, but. It's going to be interesting how we set it up to get the success out of him because what we've seen so far for him this season at City and also playing for Argentina, he's he's always so much more effective when playing with a Haaland or when playing with a Messi. 
when he plays just in behind in those pockets because his passing's probably underrated. He's has a great through ball on him and all that kind of thing, and he likes to bring those kind of what you'd call superstar players into play. So it'd be interesting to see if he's going to lead the line. I would quite like to see. Probably, I would like to see Mara start and maybe in the four-two-three-one with Kev just behind Alvarez, so those two can play close to each other, and that means Alvarez has an outlet if he wants as well and support. Because his best ratings, actually, if you look at whoscore.com, is Alvarez's best like statistical rating is is playing in the number ten role so far this season, not mm. as a number nine. Um, and if they can do some kind of trickery with pushing Kev beyond him. Um, onto the last man in those goal-scoring positions, I think that could be something tactically to look at. But uh, so I, I would like to see Mares Alvarez Grealish start as a front three, but I do understand that lack of attacking threat threat on the bench, and you do want to have a goal threat. So that's maybe, as I said earlier, why I, I, I wouldn't be I wouldn't mind if Bernardo started on the right because that would mean we'd probably have Mares on the bench, and he does have a goal in him. You know, it's funny as we as we kind of think about this and talk about this, <clears throat> I find myself leaning towards starting the game with Mares and Bernardo and playing Bernardo as a false nine or playing KDB as a false nine or even playing Gundo as a false nine, which is something that we've done before and having Alvarez from the bench. Because I think, I feel as though the one, I guess, weakness with Alvarez is that he's really raw. Yeah. And, Without being harsh on him, he just hasn't got the technique, the first touch of most of our attacking players. And turning the ball over to Liverpool in and around the number 10 position is almost the worst thing that you can do. Because, you know, if they've only got to bypass, if one long ball, one diagonal bypasses Rodri and has one of their sprinters running in behind our fullbacks. I think we've got, that's where we have a headache and controlling those transitions will mean controlling the ball. And I wonder whether Guardiola almost looks at it and goes, you know what? I'd rather if it was going to be like that, that we made it a, a 20, 30 minute game at the end, that you play an hour with the false nine, hoping that you can control the ball and also nick a goal. And then if you need to chase a goal, you use you use Alvarez in the last 20 or the last 30. Um, I wonder whether starting him will be a little too attacking for one of them. Yeah, it, it could be, but then I guess you get into that problem is if it is nil-nil with the false nine and it's really tight and you go in, as the game goes on, Pep hates making subs, doesn't he, in those moments. If it's close and he feels yeah. like we're playing all right, he then maybe won't take the chance on Alvarez and maybe then you could, be in risk of getting a draw, and that would set us back massively, especially with our well, must win. leads. Yeah, it's yeah. just must win, isn't it? Like I think that I think whichever way you cut it, it's just one where you can't. You you have that's why I feel as though you have to have a move from the bench because if you pick all your best players and they nick some on the break in the first twenty and then just sit in, you just. You, you need you need to be able to change the dynamic of the game. You can't get an hour into the into the game and have absolutely nothing to change the dynamic with. So whether it's Alvarez or it's Mares, I do think that you need to have one of those two in your back pocket. Stefan, what do you reckon? Well, I think what would worry me about the sort of the the way you described it, uh, where you sort of make it a twenty minute game, 
is I th- and I don't know whether this will play a part, but I think the psychology within the stadium would not be healthy um, for it to be sort of very low key and then yeah, I agree. try and set it up for the end. I think the the anxiety in the stadium would transfer itself to the players. You know, you're at nil nil. You know, it's kind of like a Leicester, you know, Vince, yeah. the company game, um, where it's very edgy and one one false move, and actually they go down the other end and nick a goal, and then you know, then you're in real trouble. And they'll um, take a point as well. I think Arsenal with uh, uh, Liverpool oh, with yeah, the run of games yeah. that they've got, they'll take the point all day yeah. long. Oh, sure, sure, sure. I think that that's going. I mean, I think that will dictate probably how they uh, set up as well. I think that they will go more conservative. Um, than on Tuesday night. Um, uh, so uh, I suspect uh, I suspect he won't think too much about the bench. Um, to be honest, I mean, I know what you're saying. I, I don't disagree with it. I, ju- I just think he will he will go with the side that he thinks can make the biggest impact as as early as possible and mm. uh, get everything up, get Liverpool behind, and and take it from there. I, I think. Uh, I think anything else is just a bit risky. Yeah, and uh, I think it also makes some, some sense. My 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 kind of view on it is premised by the idea that Haaland is nowhere near it. We just don't know where he's at. Um, if he's if he can be on the bench or he is on the bench, well that that gives you plenty from the bench. Do you know what I mean? So that would, that yeah, would certainly but change I think the dynamic of the selection. It's likely that even if he's on the bench, I mean, I, I, I think that they will know, especially with something like a groin, that they're really not only going to use him in a real emergency. Well, you know um, what I find weird? You know what I find weird, Stefan, is that he, so apparently he picked the injury up in the Burnley game, right? Um, but he doesn't really... He feels something, but not really anything when he goes to the the Norway camp. Then he goes to the Norway camp. He feels it again. They do a scan and they find something. Uh, Alfie says they find something bad. The only thing that when I read that, the only thing I could think was, have they found a mini tear in his groin? And if they have found a tear in his groin, well, then he could be out for the season. I don't want to alarm anybody. Well, but. did he say something bad? I mean, he said yeah. touch and go, didn't he? If it's touch and go, then ah, it yeah, can't okay. be that bad. But I mean, it must be something. Um, that uh, He definitely said touch and go for Liverpool, which to me meant he's out of Liverpool. But it didn't sound like it was, um, you know, anything particularly serious. But then again, it was serious enough for him to not even have a chance of playing in the second game. And I always felt that... Um, that he wouldn't throw away the Norway thing for the for City. It's not a. I, I didn't feel like it was an Alex Ferguson Ryan Giggs thing, uh, because I just think he's probably so symbolic to Norway to Norway's international hopes. Yeah, that he just he'd be very reluctant to. So so I always thought it's something, you know, relatively certain that he wasn't going to play, but not that serious, such that he has absolutely no chance of playing for the next couple of weeks. But I don't know, we're guessing. I, I'm I'm pretty sure that he won't be there tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, I hope he is, but I think you, you could well be right. Um, okay. So, he might only be there symbolically anyway. Yeah, you know, like exactly. He, he could easily be on the bench with Pep basically saying, there is literally no chance I'm bringing you on. I haven't got that many players anyway. I don't need, I don't need to put 
you know, whoever it is, you know, fifth pick junior on the bench. So you can be on the bench, but you won't be coming on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, the big conundrum, which it has been all season really, is what's the back four going to be? Um, George, what do you, Walker or Stones? That's my first question at right back. Oof, the magic question, the back four. Um, I think in this game, um, with the pace that Liverpool have, Stones isn't slow, but I think if Nunes is playing in that left wing slot, I'd be very worried for him going uh, matching up against the centre-back in that channel. As good as Stones is, and as much as I think he's probably the most underrated uh, player in the, in the Premier League, Stones, but um, I would go with Walker and I would start Stones, Stones at centre-back personally, but I, I can't see him going away from Ake, um, from Diaz and Akanji at centre-backs because he just doesn't seem to. Um, but I think I'm going to go with, probably go with Walker just... That Nunes pace is frightening when he gets to top speed. I think it was the um, the League Cup game and he was running um, past Laporte and it, it looked like Laporte was running backwards. It was, <laughs> I remember it was, that. It was mad. So, um, yeah, I think you need Walker's pace against him because he can be pretty devastating. Okay. So then who are your centre-backs? Yeah, I, I would go with Diaz and Stones. I think Liverpool will be happy with us being on the ball, so I, th- I want I'd want John Stones to be there to start our moves off from the back, and I think you need Diaz there um, just for his competitive defending and the the leadership qualities, and ha- and he's also probably the most one of the most informed uh, players we have right now, um, and he's been successful uh, with Portugal over the break as well, so his his high spirits will have continued. That's what I would pick, but I think he'll probably go with Akanji, maybe because Akanji does also have the pace and the physicality to go against your Nunezes and your Gakpos. So it's, it's a tough one, but I think my back four yeah, would be Walker, Stones, Diaz and Ake. Stefan? Well, that would be my back four, but I suspect it won't be his back four. Uh, I suspect he'll play Akanji somehow. Uh but I would, I would definitely have Walker, and I would definitely have Stones, and Diaz has to be the first name in the defence right now. Uh, even though Aki's played very well, you know, Diaz I think has been uh, instrumental to the the form that we've been in. Um, so I think Ake will definitely play. Clearly, uh, Diaz, Diaz I think will definitely play, play. Mm. and then I just don't see how you can not have Walker. But I can see how. Pep might not have Walker, <laughs> bizarrely. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So I think he plays Stones at right back. Whether I, It's not about that me wanting that, but I think he will play Stones at right back. I think that, I don't want to be boring, but he's obviously, he's married to this system of the four becoming a three and a two. And if he plays Ake and Walker, neither of them can be the two. Um, they both have to be in the three. So I just think that on one side, he's going to go with somebody who can play as a centre midfielder. And I don't see him playing Bernardo as the false left back. And I don't see him playing Rico Lewis uh, at left back. So I think it does end up being Stones, Diaz Akanji and Ake. Um, And he'll look at Stones' performances before the international break and 
that will probably end up deciding it for him, I think. It's not that complicated in terms of why we all think Walker should be playing. Um, it's not as if Pep won't. We, we see it, but Pep doesn't. Uh, so I'm sure that he factors in the uh, the situation with Walker into that thinking. And, you know, that's why Pep is Pep. Um, mm. So I'm sure he'll be right uh, if he does that. Um, it's just um, certainly my very base uh, understanding of football would have Walker playing every time. Um, I, the one, the one thing I'm, the one reason I'm grateful for it being an early kickoff is that I don't have to spend the entirety of the morning and the afternoon stressing about what the team is going to be because I'll know it by the end of the morning. Um, be put out of our misery early, exactly. Early rather than later, exactly, exactly. Um, does Harling being out change how we approach the game at all, or is it just we continue what we've done all season? just without Haaland? I think we continue in a similar vein. I think we've got, we'll have Alvarez and, you know, he's got the pace. I think we'll be continuing to trying to play the link-up football. We've not played the ball in behind as much as we would have liked with Haaland. I think we've only just kind of started to adjust for him in the last few weeks. So for us to kind of, not revert back, but, I think playing the way we did against Burnley and Leipzig, I understand they're not Liverpool, but I think hopefully I'd like to see us continue in, in that way with just a switch out of personnel. Because um, I don't think the way we were playing in those games was catering to Haaland in any way. I think it was just a system that worked for everyone on the pitch yeah. in those games. So I think the players can slot in. It's just what I'm actually been concerned about this week is if we get a penalty, who's going to take it? That's <laughs> the most frightening thought I've had about this team selection all week when I knew Haaland was a doubt. I've, it's been going through my mind every day. Will it be Rodri, Mares, Gunda? I don't know, but De Bruyne, it's, um, th- that's probably the, the adaptation I'm most worried about. Ramadan Riyadh. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Ramadan Riyadh is the best version of Riyadh. So, yeah. Gloves on, everything. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Splendid. Right. Um, you might be all right in the morning. Presumably. True. I, I don't know. You tell me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It'd be easier in the morning than it would be in the afternoon for sure. Yeah, um, definitely. Stefan, do you fancy it? I'm going to wrap this up now. Do you fancy it? Yeah. I, look, I think that we always have to remember that. We've had lots of must-win games over the years. Um, maybe take Champions League out of the way, but certainly in the league, think about all those games. We've had a lot of them, and we have tended to win them. Yeah, particularly in the league. I think we do have a this collection of players do, does have a certain mentality when it comes to to this part of the season and and big game well actually every game is a big game one of the i think one of the things that i find not annoying but it's like we've not had an easy title win there's not been a other than the 100 point season that's the only title win that we've breezed it but other than that every title win it's kind of gone down the last day of the season it's uh yeah it's it's very tense george do you fancy it i do I do. I think you've got to be positive because the ramifications if you lose this game, you know, what? You'd, and Arsenal win, you'd be 11 points 
behind or with a game in hand, but um, that's that's too much of a hill to get over, even for the 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 more optimistic among us. So um, I think I think we'll do it. I think it's going to be cagey. I, I can't I can't see it being a massive scoreline. I think it'll be a two-one kind of one-nil victory. But I think we'll just get over the edge just because I feel like what's at stake for us in terms of the the, the glor- potential glory on offer come the end of the season should be the motivation that we need to get to get it over the line. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I if we're gonna blow it. I'm going to go big and say we ain't blowing it tomorrow. If we're going to blow it, it's going to be in that final three or four fixtures because there's some toughies in there. That's where, you know, depending on where we are in the Champions League, it might snap our back in terms of squad size and all that sort of business. But I hope with it being Liverpool tomorrow and it being a home game that they just turn up and they come correct. Right. Forget score predictions because they're daft anyway. Stefan, thank you very much. Cheers. George, thank you very much. Cheers, guys. To everybody who listened, this was the Friday show on the 9320 podcast. Um, loads of loads more podcasts coming on the 9320 player. In the meantime, be safe, be well, and as always, up the blues.